We're going to continue our series tonight that I, I started last week on spiritual warfare. And tonight is week two on this topic. And I want to start by just reading three different passages of Scripture to just sort of saturate our minds, our thoughts in uh, this concept tonight. And then there's some things from uh, specifically the first passage that I, I really want to draw out for us tonight. The whole reason why we're... The, the first passage is going to be 2 Corinthians 10, if you want to open there in your Bibles. The whole reason why we're... Uh, teaching on spiritual warfare, of all the things that we could look at, of all the things that we could teach on, is because we need to be equipped for battle. Because all of the Christian life is spiritual warfare. All of it. And I'm going to show you that tonight. I'm going to show you that tonight from... 2 Corinthians chapter 10. When you think about spiritual warfare, what sort of images come to your mind? You know, I think sometimes we're probably have our minds, our thoughts on things trained better from pop culture than from the Word of God. So we think of spiritual warfare and we think of like Harry Potter and his magic wand or... Gandalf and his staff. Or we think of the, the movie The Exorcist, right? Casting out demons and people's heads turning around, spinning around. Or maybe like there's a vampire, so we're holding up a cross and garlic. That's spiritual warfare. What, 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 what thoughts come to your mind? Maybe you remember back to Sunday school and they had a the flannel graph of the armor of God and somehow you're supposed to put that on. Maybe, maybe you were really a really Christian and for your birthday or Christmas you were blessed enough to be given an armor of God set that you could wear. The little plastic sword and helmet and watch out devil. I've got my armor of God. Well, what do you think? What, what do our minds go to? You know, last week I made the case that we are in a spiritual battle. That the Christian life is spiritual warfare. I think I shared with you ten passages of Scripture all throughout the New Testament that talk about the battle, the warfare, the fight. Right? Paul encouraging Timothy fight the good fight of faith. Paul, when he gets to the end of his life, he says, I have fought the good fight of faith. What does that look like? What is spiritual warfare? That's what we're going to get into tonight. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 3 through 6. It reads, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. When he talks about the flesh here, he's, he's talking about the natural realm, the physical world. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, again, not from this natural world, but have divine power. To destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. That's the first passage, and we're going to come back to this one, but I also want to read Ephesians chapter 6, a few verses from Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, starting in verse 10. 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. He goes on there to list the armor of God and and we're going to spend a week on each one of these as we move throughout this series this summer. But here he says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, again, not the physical realm, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over the present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. One last scripture before we pray and ask for the Lord's help tonight is 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter. And I, I read this passage last Sunday morning, but it is so key to spiritual warfare that we need to, we need to look at it again. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help me tonight to communicate your word. Lord, it is your word that has power. God, my words are are empty, they're hollow, they're of no consequence. But your word is spirit and it is life. So Lord, speak to us tonight by your spirit. Help me to communicate with your people. Help us to be equipped to fight and to win spiritual battles. That we would in our day push back on the forces of darkness and see the light of your kingdom advance. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I hope we're not about to be hit by a tornado. But if we are, hey, you know, I know where I'm going. Um, again, this idea of spiritual warfare. You notice in, in all of these passages, not a once is it mentioned exorcism. Not a once is it mentioned, you know, casting out demons or anything like that. In fact, it mentions things that we would consider to be kind of normal, casual. He mentions arguments in 2 Corinthians 10.5. Arguments, opinions, thoughts. I want to impress upon you again this idea that spiritual warfare is not just for the people that went to Bible college. It's not just for those who have been trained in the martial arts and the jiu-jitsu of the Holy Spirit. 
It's not just for missionaries and for pastors. Hear me in this. And I'm going to prove this to you tonight. All of the Christian life is spiritual warfare. All of it. The sum total of it. I could put it this way. The ordinary Christian life is spiritual warfare. What this means is for us as Christians, every day, every day is a spiritual battle. Every day. And not just every day, but every moment of every day is a spiritual battle. In fact, many people are actively engaged in spiritual warfare and even fight spiritual battles and they don't even realize it. Let's look here again at at, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. First he goes on to say what spiritual, what, what, what our battle, the battle that we're in, what it is not. And it's not physical. It's not physical. Christ has not enlisted us in hand-to-hand combat. How many of you can say amen to that? That in fact, your, 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 your physical prowess in, in no way, shape, or form reflects your spiritual power. So that the most powerful people in the Spirit of God can be what the world will look at and say are the weakest are the most inconsequential. As Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 1, that God has taken what the world despised and is tearing down strongholds with them so that he would get the glory. That he would get the glory. You ever wonder why God chose you? You ever look in the mirror and say, why did you choose me? What in the world did you ever see in me? He saw somebody, I say this with all the love in my heart, he saw somebody jacked up enough that he could use and get the glory from. That's why he chose you. Amen. It's not a physical battle. We don't, we don't win it with our... Our, 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 our physical might and strength. We're, we're not fighting with physical weapons, but with spiritual weapons. And he says that our weapons of our warfare have divine power. Divine power. I, I get excited about that. That's exciting to me. In my past life, in my 20-somethings, I played a lot of video games. I have confessed that sin to the Lord. I've repented of that sin. And I thank God that he has set me free from that. But when you would play these video games, I liked violent video games. I liked to shoot people, uh, you know. Add that to your psych profile for me. But what you're always trying to do is you're trying to level up your weapon. You're trying to add this attachment and this power to make your weapon more powerful than the people that you're trying to blow up. Because whoever has the strongest weapon is going to win the battle. And when I read this, that the weapons we fight with in the kingdom of God have divine power? That's God mode. That's God's power in our weapons. Now our enemy doesn't have divine power. The enemy we're fighting against, his weapons are not infused with the power of God. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. Flip over with, keep your place here. Now I'm, I'm going off script, so just buckle up. Uh, flip over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. As we were at the pool yesterday, catching some rays at the men's event, 
Brother Martin Fessler uh, and I were talking, talking Jesus, and he reminded me of this passage from Ephesians chapter 1. And Paul here, he says that he is praying for the Ephesian saints. And his prayer, verse 17, is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom wisdom, and of revelation. So that it would be revealed to us. So again, he's writing to Christians, born again, spirit filled. How many, how many of you have... You've put your faith in Jesus. You know that when your time comes, you're going in the presence of God. You're a Christian here today. Amen? Amen. But just because we're a Christian doesn't mean that we have the fullness of the revelation that we need. And so Paul is praying for these Christians that they would have a revelation. That it would be revealed to them. An unveiling. In the knowledge of Him. In, In our knowledge of God, he's praying. That we would grow in, and this is, as Martin reminded me yesterday, not just a head knowledge, but an intimate experiential knowledge of knowing God and knowing Christ. And he goes on to say that we would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened and that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? In verse 19, this is why I came here, that you may know, that you may have a revelation of what is the immeasurable or exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also into the one to come, and that he has put all things under his feet and given him as head over all things to the church, who is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That you would know the greatness of his power. The immeasurable, exceeding greatness of his power. You cannot measure the power of God. God's power cannot be measured. The the power behind the weapons that we fight with in these spiritual battles cannot be measured, cannot be stopped, cannot be thwarted. That's what it means when he says our weapons have divine power. They have God's power behind it. And what do we do with these weapons? The weapons of our warfare. What do we do with them? He says we destroy strongholds. This this word destroy... It means to utterly abolish. It means to totally demolish. It means literally to make extinct. That means not coming back. That means gone forever. To to totally and utterly destroy, make extinct, demolish, first and foremost, strongholds. Well, what is a stronghold? I looked this up today uh, in the Greek. It literally means a well-fortified castle. A well-fortified armament, a castle, a a place that uh, the territory that the enemy has taken and set up shop from which he is launching attacks out into the world. As we look at our culture, can we identify any strongholds that the, that the enemy has? The strongholds are all over the place. That's the great news about the place we are. We don't need a whole lot of strategy. Just point me in any direction. And I'm going to be attacking the enemy. The strongholds are everywhere. Don't we see that? In, in entertainment, do we not see a stronghold of the enemy? 
In, in education, do we not see the stronghold of the enemy? In government, do we not see the stronghold of the enemy? In the Christian music industry, do we not see the enemy starting to put strongholds in? These strongholds, well-fortified places from which he launches out attacks. But with the power of God and the weapons we fight with, we destroy strongholds. We have castle-blowing-up weapons, bombs. We, we, we have what we need to be victorious. He says we don't just have weapons and we, you know, kind of push back. They push back on us. We're constantly engaged in this back and forth struggle. No, he says we destroy strongholds. Places where the enemy is well entrenched and dug in. Also, he goes on to say that these strongholds that we destroy. Verse 5, he says that they are arguments. It's interesting. He goes from talking about strongholds to talking about arguments. This word arguments is the word logismos. Logismos. With its root word being logos, the word. It means reasoning, imaginations, thoughts. He he says we launch attacks against philosophies, against ideas, against ideologies. And he goes on to say that these attacks that we launch are also against every high thought or every lofty opinion. <laughs> this is what, these are the thoughts that the experts have. Okay? Every high thought. I got this degree from this place and this degree from that place and so therefore you should listen to me and Paul says you can take your degrees and shove them. Because I've got a weapon to fight with. Because if if your idea is opposed to, is raised against the knowledge of God... It must be destroyed. It, it must be eradicated. These weapons have divine power. This primary weapon that we fight with is what? Word. The Word. The Word of God. Which is, kids, the Word of God is what? What weapon? Sword. The sword. Of, some of you kids have really deep voice. <laughs> the sword... Of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word is our primary weapon. Yes, there are other weapons. Prayer and intercession, worship, the blood of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we have other weapons. But the Word of God is primary simply for this fact that the Word of God tells me about all those other ones. That if I don't have a right understanding of the Word of God, I won't know how to rightly apply any of the other weapons that I have at my disposal. Where do I learn about prayer? Where do I learn about the power of the Spirit? Where do I learn about worship? I learn about it in the Word of God. And the Word of God is given to us in three ways. The Word of God is given to us in three ways. And it's also attacked in three ways. The Word of God is given to us first and foremost. First, the Word of God was given in creation. In creation. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. All of creation came into existence and is held in existence in obedience to the powerful word of God. So that even all creation continuously preaches a sermon. 
The sermon doesn't stop when you walk outside. In fact, it keeps going because creation is preaching to us 24-7. The heavens declare the glory of God. So first and foremost, God's word is given in creation. Second, God's word is given to us in scripture, in the written word of God. All scripture is God-breathed, theanustos, breathed out by God. And is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. We have the word of God in creation. We have the word of God in scripture. And finally, we have the word of God in Christ. In Christ. Christ is the final word. In Hebrews 1, he, the writer of Hebrews says that long ago in various times and places, God spoke to us through his prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ, whom we appointed as heir of all things. So Christ, or his, the word of God is in creation, the word of God is in scripture, the word of God is in Christ, the incarnation, the logos, the word made flesh. And so Paul here says that we destroy arguments. Again, I shared with you that word, logismos. It has the word logos in it as its root word. What he means is that we go after every false idea, every false ideology, every false worldview that at its core is an attack on the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. Well, what God is Paul speaking of? The only one true God. The triune God of Scripture. That the triune God of Scripture is the foundation for all knowledge, for all truth, for all, for all things. And there is a false word. There is a false logos. There's an anti-logos. There's an anti-Christ in the world. These arguments, these ideas are not neutral. They are There are these false ideas that are raised against Christ to try to undermine the truth of who God is. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, quote, There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Which means all of life is a battleground. Every moment of every day, we are either agreeing with the claims of Christ and his power and authority in totality over all things, or we are agreeing with the counterclaims of Satan that says, no, this is my place. And the battle of spiritual warfare is the battle to think Christian thoughts about all things and to apply the word of God to all of life. That is spiritual warfare. That's what he says. We take every thought captive. I I cannot think of a better definition of spiritual warfare than that. Taking every thought captive and making it obey Christ. Spiritual warfare is applying the truth of God from his word to every area of life, beginning with our own thoughts. Did you know that everything you think is not true? Did you know that? You know that just because you think it doesn't mean it's true? It goes even beyond that. Everything you feel isn't true. Do you know sometimes you feel things that aren't true? We must be actively engaged, making every thought obedient to Christ, asserting the lordship of Christ over all things, starting with my mind to think like a Christian. I want to give you some examples of this from Scripture because I know this is kind of up here 
I want to bring it down here to where we are, where we live. The first example of spiritual warfare, where do we see it in the Bible? Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. God created everything. He said it's very good. Satan comes disguised as the serpent. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 3 of Genesis. Now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say? That is spiritual warfare. That is the definition of spiritual warfare. A counterclaim to creation. A counterclaim to the Logos. A counterclaim to the claims of God. And we live in a world that is constantly laying claim and counterclaims to what Christ has claimed for himself. What Christ, rather I should say, has purchased for himself. What Christ has taken for himself. You see, on the cross, Jesus Christ defeated Satan. Defeated whom he called the God of this world. In fact, in John chapter 11, 12, in John chapter 12, right before Jesus goes to the cross, he says this, now, now is the God of this world thrown down, cast down. The enemy has been defeated by Christ on the cross. Isn't that what we sing? Aren't those in the songs that we sing? Christ is victorious and risen from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father, Jesus claims all authority in heaven and on earth. But Satan comes in the garden and he says, did God really say? I like the way the King James put it. Hath God said? What is he doing here? He's calling into question the authority of the word of God. What has God said? Is it true? Is it good? He calls into question the goodness of the word of God. And through his questions, he plants the seed of unbelief. The just, we're called to live by what? By faith. But Satan, through his questions, plants the seed of unbelief. Listen, you got to be very careful to listening to people who are questioning the word of God. Because they'll say things like, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making arguments. I'm not saying anything. I just have questions. Through their questions, they are laying counterclaims. They're sowing the seed of doubt and unbelief. Satan knew exactly what he was doing here. He wasn't curious. He knew what God had said. And there are many today making shipwreck of other people's faith. We're just asking questions. We're just wanting to have a conversation when they themselves have already made up their mind. You don't engage with anybody like that. Now, if somebody has a genuine question, 1 Peter chapter 3, always be ready to give a defense. But if somebody isn't open to hearing your answer, but only want to continue to undermine through questions... Paul says, have nothing to do with them. Have nothing to do with those who sow discord among the brethren. That's what Paul says. Here comes Satan. Why? Because they're filled with an antichrist spirit. They're filled with the spirit of Satan, questioning the word of God. Hath God said. And hear me in this. To call God's word into question is to call God into question. And we live in the world of hath God said. My whole message this morning was trying to address the hath God said of today. Does God's word really say, and because there's kids here today, I'll just say rainbow flag. Does God's word really say that we shouldn't fly the rainbow flag? Is that what God's word really says? Are we sure? It seems kind of confusing to me. I don't know. The way they translated this word, I guess we just can't know. That's the serpent speaking. 
And unfortunately, many even who call themselves Christians are uttering the very words of the serpent. Calling into question God himself by calling into question God's word. When somebody says, well, God's word isn't clear, what are they saying? They're saying that God's not a very good communicator. God doesn't know how to get his message across. God needs to, you know, take an English lesson or something. We just can't know God's word's not clear. No, God's word is abundantly clear to those who love the truth, to those who love God. So this, this is how it works, by questioning the word of God. Hath God said? Let me show you another example of this, Acts chapter 14. Just look at this quickly. This is Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, Acts chapter 14. This is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare, again, is not, is not what you see in the movies. It's not called the exorcist. It's the battle for Christian thinking and applying it rightly to our lives. That is spiritual warfare. Look at this, uh, Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Amazing. Revival. Powerful. The kingdom of God is moving forward. Verse 2, but the unbelieving... Right, so, so, so these are those that had the opportunity to believe in Christ who heard the gospel message but instead rejected Jesus the Messiah and hardened their hearts in unbelief. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and, what's that next sentence say? Poisoned their minds against the brothers. How did they poison their mind? Did they put brain poison in their food? What did they poison their mind with? Thoughts, ideas, arguments, every lofty opinion that would raise itself against the knowledge of God, the truth of God in Christ. They poisoned their mind with words. So what does it say Paul and Barnabas did? They turned tails between their legs and ran out of town? No, so they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. They continued to preach the gospel. They didn't back down just because there was some opposition. They continued to attack the arguments, the opinions the philosophies, and to bring to bear on them the word of God. That is spiritual warfare. And that is simply the Christian life. I was on a missions trip uh, with some pastors and so several, several years ago. And after we got back, I was sort of debriefing with one of them and um, he told me that, it, and when we were there, everything seemed fine, everything seemed normal to me, everything seemed just business as usual, mission trip, it was great, we, we preached, God moved, it, it was just a wonderful time. And when we got back, this pastor told me, I asked him how he thought the trip went, he said, it was good, but I was, he told me, I was really struggling with an intense spiritual battle. I said, Really? It, it sort of seemed like just normal activity to me. And I said, what do you mean spiritual battle? I didn't see any Ouija boards or pentagrams on the wall or like, what are you talking about? And he just began to describe to me the, 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 the conflicting thoughts that he was having while he was there. And, and the thoughts that lined up with the word of God and the thoughts that didn't line up with the word of God. And and the intense battle that, that was raging in him 
in that foreign land. And I had never, at that point in my life, I had never heard anybody describe what he was describing as a spiritual battle. I thought that was just, you know, normal life. And that's the point. It is. It is. It is normal life to have battling and conflicting thoughts. It is normal life to take those thoughts captive and make them obey the word of God. Therefore, it is normal life for you to be engaged in spiritual warfare every day, all day. Because my thoughts, they, they go all over the place. Uh, me taking my thoughts captive is, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm chasing everywhere all day to make my thoughts obey Christ. So spiritual warfare, where does it start? It starts with the guy in the mirror. It starts right here. You see, the problem is we tend to think of spiritual warfare as, well, it's all that stuff out there. But really, it starts right here. Sanctify, set apart in your minds Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus is Lord. Get that. He is Lord. They're not Lord. You're not Lord. He is Lord. Get that thought in your mind. And apply that thought to every thought you think, to every word you speak, to everything you do. That is spiritual warfare. And then when you have a handle on that, start to apply the Lordship of Christ in every area that you can speak up in. Wherever you have a voice, wherever you have influence, wherever you can move things, move them towards the kingdom of God and the Lordship of Christ. That is spiritual warfare. And here's the great news. Our weapons have power. Divine power. You see, the enemies sold us a lie that if we're not educated enough, if we're not uh, uh, eloquent enough, if, if we don't know the exact right words to say, that, that we will be made fools, that we won't know what to do, that we'll embarrass Jesus. You understand Everything I just said was a lie of the enemy. Everything. And it's the lies that the enemy used to keep us bound, to keep the sword in its sheath. But if we will believe the word of God, that his word has power, and we will lift it up and speak it and proclaim it everywhere we go, everything we do, strongholds will come down. So taking every thought captive means I have to believe that the Word of God has power. Because if I don't believe the Word of God has power, that thought has been captured by the enemy and not by Christ. And here's the, here's the other thing. The world that we live in is actively engaged in this battle 24-7. 24-7. They get this. Satan understands this. God's people need to get this. We even have a word for the way Satan wars in this spiritual battle. What, what do we call it when... According to the world's narrative, you think the wrong thing. And somebody is like trying to tell you what to think. What do we call that? We call that, don't we have a word for that? Well, that's the thought police. Have you ever heard that? You ever heard anybody talking about the thought police? That's spiritual warfare. They're trying to conform your thoughts to antichrist thinking. That's spiritual warfare. When we're to be conforming our thoughts, not to the thought police but to Christ. The world is so actively engaged in spiritual warfare, we call it the thought police, and we don't even realize what's going on. We're to take every thought and make it obey Christ, not take every thought and conform it to an all-encompassing antichrist narrative in the world today. So, let's land this plane. 
Spiritual warfare is applying the truth of God's word to our hearts and our minds so that I believe and act upon God's word and not Satan's false version of reality. When I am tempted to sin, I am in being invited to believe something that isn't true. Every temptation to sin is an invitation by Satan to doubt God. How does that work? Well, Satan will put something in front of you. He says, if you take this, if you go into this, if you will do this, he makes a, he makes a promise, he makes a counterclaim, he makes a false word. He, he makes a, a logismos, an, an, an argument. You will be satisfied, you will be happy, you will find joy, you will feel good, you will be at peace. Even though God's word says the opposite. That's spiritual warfare, friends. Every temptation is spiritual warfare. And so that is when I must engage and I must pick up the sword of the spirit and I must remind myself what is true. What is true by God's word? And that is that whatever I'm being tempted into, I must declare that that is sin, that it violates the law of God and that sin leads to death. It will not produce joy and happiness, satisfaction, or peace. It will produce the opposite in my life. And I strengthen myself by meditating on who I am in Christ. I'm I'm not bound in sin. I've been set free of sin. I'm a saint in the eyes of God. I've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I've been filled with the Spirit of God. The power of sin has been broken in my life through the cross of Christ. I remind myself that Satan has no power in my life, that he is a defeated foe, and that his head is crushed under the feet of Jesus. That is spiritual warfare. What about this? Can you believe what she said about me? I don't know why I made that a woman, but anyway. (laughs) We'll just go with it. Who does she think she is? Doesn't she know who she's talking to? Those are the the lies of the enemy. Take those thoughts captive. No, she's my sister in Christ. Maybe she didn't understand. Maybe I misunderstood. Maybe maybe there's some breakdown here. But but we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We love each other. I'm called to love her. I'm not going to condemn her. I'm going to pray for her. That's not true. The, The devil's trying to drive a wedge and break the unity in our body and in our fellowship. That's spiritual warfare. When you're tempted to get angry at someone, well, I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's what the Word of God says. How about this one? The the sin of discontentment. The sin of coveting. If only my life was like theirs, I'd be happy. If only I could have this. If only I could have that. Then everything would be perfect. No, that's not what the Word of God says at all. The Word of God says that I have everything I need for life and godliness and that God supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Again, a lot of people who call themselves Christians today, they do not live or act like Christians. They do not live and act like Jesus Christ is Lord, risen from the dead, seated at the right hand of God. And I don't say that judgmentally, like I'm better than anybody else. That's not my heart. I only say that to try and identify the problem. If we can't even identify the problem, how in the world can we ever come to a solution? And we don't act like Christians because we don't think like Christians. Set apart Jesus Christ as Lord in your heart. Jesus, risen ascended, returning, victorious, overall. Set apart Christ as Lord. Before we could ever hope to live like Christians, we must first fight the battle for Christian thought, for Christian thinking. Because if we will begin to think like Christians, maybe we would begin to act like Christians, believe and act like Christ is King. And it starts right here 
with each one of us, bringing every thought into captivity, making it align with the truth of God's word. To think, to act, to believe like Jesus is who he said he was. And to resist at every turn the lies of the enemy that would declare to us the false narrative of the universe. So what is spiritual warfare? It is taking every thought captive and making it obey Christ. Spiritual warfare is aligning our thoughts, our hearts, our attitudes, our emotions to the truth of God's word. So your whole life is spiritual warfare. Your whole life. Every, every time you think a thought, it's either in alignment with the truth of God's word or it's not. We must endeavor, we must focus to use the powerful weapons that we have to think like Christians and to declare the truth because we have a weapon that will bring down strongholds. We first have to learn how to use it right here to believe that Jesus is Lord. Amen. I invite you to stand with me tonight. Our God and our Father, we ask for your help. You are our helper. Lord, we, we believe that we are saved. We believe that our sins are forgiven. We've been washed clean. Lord, we are your sons and your daughters. But there are so many places and so many areas of our lives and so many thoughts that we think that we just let them run wild when you've called us to use these divine weapons that have immense power to take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Help us, God, to do that. Help us to take the truth that you are Lord, that your word is supreme, that your version of reality is the true version, and help us to believe that in faith, to apprehend that by faith, and to apply it in the power of your spirit. Lord, we live in dark times. It's not a surprise to you the times and seasons in which we live. But Lord, we do ask that through your help and through your power, we would see some strongholds fall down. That we would see, as you taught us to pray, your kingdom come and your will would be done on earth in San Antonio, in our families. Yes. 